What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 49, and this morning we are sitting down with Robert Fry. Morning, Robert. Morning, Ben. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Great speaking to you, too. How's, uh, how's everything going this first, uh, I guess, 12 days of the new year? Um, well, I think economically we're off to a, a slow start, but uh, I haven't had to shovel any snow yet, so uh, I count my blessings. <laughs> Yeah, we had one good storm up here so far. We got a good maybe six, seven, eight inches, um, but it's all green out there now, unfortunately. Um, but we appreciate you taking the time and, and sitting down with us this morning. Um, obviously, we had uh, Robert Fry as a, a company presenter last week at our quarterly virtual sales meeting, um, which was available to obviously all our customers and suppliers that were uh, registered on our email list. So, you know, we thank you for that presentation. That's some great feedback. It was really great information, especially to kick off the year. Um, but I think just getting started, you know, I'd love to get a, a brief, you know, bio on yourself and your your background, um, as well as you know the, the business, Robert Fry Economics, and, and what you're doing today. Well, right now I am chief economist of my own company, Robert Fry Economics LLC. I started that in uh, August of 2015, uh, a month or so after retiring from Dupont. Uh, I was at DuPont for more than 30 years. That includes uh, about two or three years uh, uh, with Conoco at the front end and a few months with Comores on the back end. Uh, but I left there in the middle of 2015, started my own company. I publish a monthly newsletter on the economy called Current Economic Conditions. It's very similar to, uh, to a newsletter that I wrote uh, for DuPont and its employees and its customers for more than 20 years. And uh, uh, I, I sort of enjoyed doing that. So I started my company in part so that I could keep doing it. I have uh, uh, many subscribers that got my DuPont uh, newsletter that are still getting uh, my Robert Fry Economics LLC newsletter now. Um, I also give speeches on the economic outlook to uh, to corporate leadership teams, to customer and supplier events like the one we did last week, and also for trade association meetings. Um, so that's basically what my my business is, uh, and I've been a business economist since I finished graduate school in August of, uh, of 1984. Very nice. Yeah, I know obviously you gave the, the speech to our company and customers last week. It was excellent. And I know a lot of our sales teams either worked, you know, for DuPont and heard you at that time or I've seen you at various trade organizations. So yeah, it was a it was a great presentation and you know we're happy to have you on the on the podcast this morning. Um yeah, I think jumping right into it, you know, we'd love to kind of get your uh overlook or outlook uh or maybe recap of you know kind of 2020. You know, I'm sure it was certainly a interesting year from an economic standpoint. I know everyone, you know was affected by it in various ways. Um, so yeah, you know, I'd love to get your uh, viewpoint or opinion on 2020, you know, what happens, um, if there was any, you know, anything like that, any eight or 12 month period like that in the history from an economic standpoint, you know, we'll, you know, give us a, a, a recap from your eyes on 2020. Yeah, well, 2020 started out well. Um, the first two months we had strong employment growth uh, looked like the economy was picking up and then the uh, the pandemic hit about the middle of March and we suffered uh, the worst recession since the Great Depression. It was also the shortest recession since the Great Depression. It was, uh, you know, probably go down once the histories are written as two months long, maybe three. 
there was a business cycle peak in February, and the trough was probably in April, certainly no later than May. Uh, but the second quarter decline in real GDP was uh, by far the biggest ever. And we've been recording quarterly data since uh, shortly after World War II. So we might have had a worse quarter during the Great Depression in the late 20s and early 30s, but uh, we don't have any quarterly data to, to prove it. So uh, uh, since we've had quarterly data, this was uh, the second quarter last year was the worst quarter by a factor of three. Uh, the decline was more than 30% at an annual rate, and until then, the worst quarter we ever had was in 1958. It was minus 10% of an annual rate. Uh, had a nice, sharp bounce back in the third quarter, at least in, uh, in annualized growth rate terms, more than 30% on the upside. But if you know your growth rate math, you know if you go down 30% and come up 30%, you don't get back to to uh, where you started. So even after that third quarter rebound, we were about as far below the pre-recession peak as we got at the very bottom of the, uh, the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009. So uh, last year, despite the, the bounce back at the end of the year, uh, it was the worst year we've had uh, in terms of annual data since 1946 and the immediate wind down after World War II. And, and is it safe to say at that at that very bottom, whether that was you know late March, late April, that nobody foresaw it bouncing back this quickly? I think that was maybe the scariest part of those couple months. Is you know okay, is this going to be a two-year thing? Is this going to be you know no one knew what was going to come, and I don't think anybody expected maybe it to bounce back as quickly as it did. Yeah, I'm um, uh, I'm in the process of drafting my January newsletter, and one of the things I'm talking about is how the the bounce back has been uh, stronger than than I thought, and certain, and I think stronger than most economists believe. Um, and I think there's two reasons for that. One is uh, we got a lot of fiscal stimulus last March. Um, I think the people that uh, passed it are going to put the emphasis on the size of the stimulus. I would put the emphasis on the speed. Um, there's an old joke in economics that. Uh, you know the recession is over when Congress passes a stimulus package. And because historically, they never, they never got it through Congress and got it enacted until after the recession was over. This year was, or last year was very different. They uh, reacted very quickly. You have to give them uh, credit for acting uh, so quickly. So they got a lot of money into the economy, um, and that helped things bounce back. But it's not all policy. I think um, the natural resilience of the economy was stronger than we thought. And, and, and what I mean in this particular case is we've been able to shift resources and spending from activities that can't be done safely to those that can. So while um, spending on bars and restaurants and a lot of services is still way below uh, it's pre-recession peak. Uh, consumer spending on goods is actually higher than it was before the recession, and, and uh, that's a, a big surprise. So people have managed, people who can't go on a trip, who won't go out to a restaurant, they, they're saving the money that they would have spent on travel or, or dining, and they're spending it on improving their homes or, or 
buying uh, goods and having them shipped to them. And so um, you had a stronger bounce back on the good side of the economy than we expected. Um, we've also seen a, a very nice rebound in the housing sector. Housing is much stronger than it was before the recession. And that's a combination of two things. One, people uh, want to get out of the crowded cities and living in apartments and get into a single family home out in the suburbs or the exurbs. So that creates the demand. But on the supply side, um, when you're building a home, um, you're not closely crowded together. That can be done safely. You know, people are usually separated by eight feet by a, uh, a, the length of a two by four or, or the length of a sheet of drywall. So uh, people are building homes. They can do that safely. They're, they, and uh, some of them probably are used to wearing masks. Same uh, with most of the manufacturing sector, um, except in, in industries where people are crowded together, like, like meat packing or maybe the garment industry. In most of manufacturing, people are spread out. They can operate safely. Again, they're used to wearing masks and other PPE. Um, so manufacturing has bounced back. Now, manufacturing is not all the way back to its pre-recession peak like housing is, but it still had, a, uh, I think, a stronger rebound than, than most people expected. And I think a lot of that is just to the fact that, uh, due to the fact that we've reallocated spending uh, towards safe activity and, and reallocated uh, at least some labor um, towards safe activities. Yeah, I can attest to that. We we ended up buying a house. We closed in early November, so we were on the house search during the peak of you know kind of COVID coming or the the economy coming back post COVID. And can attest to how strong that housing market was. It's it was a a, a crazy search. I think it's still going to be like that here coming in the, the early part of this year. Yeah, and it could be stronger if there was more inventory. Uh, but a lot of people don't want to put their houses on the market, and so the the uh, um, inventory of existing homes is, is at record lows and there are restraints on building new homes uh, you know due to a lack of um, laborers or, or land um, or shortages or high expenses for lumber so but we can't build homes as fast as we'd like to to meet the demand so consequently since demand has risen faster than the supply you've seen um, home prices rise quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, so and I guess where does that put us today? So is it is it safe to say we're, we're clear and out of the recession? How do the, does the current economy look, you know, compared to obviously the worst in, in COVID? Um, you know, wh where do we stand today based on coming out of 2020? Well, we had that strong rebound in the third quarter, went into the fourth quarter with a pretty good head of steam. Um, lost some momentum in the fourth quarter. Some of that was due to the um, to, to some of the stimulus from earlier in the year running out, and some of it was due to simply a, a rebound in COVID cases um, that rose in the fourth quarter. Uh, a response to people going back to school. It rose some more after Thanksgiving. It rose some more after Christmas. Um, so I, I think you've seen. Um, the good sector of the economy, the, the uh, uh, restaurants uh, fall back down again. So um, we actually saw employment decline in December 
uh, we could see another month or two of that. Um, but I, I think as you look towards the horizon, things get better because they're rolling out a vaccine. Now, it hasn't gone as smoothly as, as um, people would have liked, but uh, the vaccine is there. And as people get the vaccine in their arms and uh, the second vaccine, uh, they will feel much safer resuming their normal activities. So I think you will see uh, a pickup in, uh, in, in restaurant traffic, in, in uh, airline travel, in people rejoining the gyms perhaps, although uh, the people that have bought a nice Peloton or high-end treadmill and put that in their basement might not uh, go back to the gym quite as fast as people go back to, to airlines and restaurants. Um, but I think that happens over the course of the year. Uh, first quarter, I think, is going to be kind of weak because of the pickup in COVID cases. But as I look for the second, third, fourth quarters, I think those are going to be uh, very strong quarters that will get us back to uh, uh, the pre-recession peak probably by the end of this year in terms of GDP and industrial production. I don't think we get back to the pre-recession peak in terms of employment until well into 2022. Got it. And, and I know one thing that we as TCC closely monitor, and I know a lot of our customers and various manufacturing you know, facilities and capabilities are keeping an eye on is China. Um, certainly something that's an interesting topic, pretty much no matter, I think, regardless of the industry that you're in or the, the types of products you're producing, um, whether that's things being produced in China, raw materials coming from China, um, you know, and and products ending up shipping back to China. Um, so, what, what's the current status on China in terms of the U.S. economy, um, and, and what are we seeing? You know, how do, how do we see that impacting 2021? China, because it, it, in a totalitarian society, you can enact restrictions that you can't in a in a democracy. Uh, they were able to squash the virus much more effectively than we were. They had two bad months, January and February, where uh, industrial production basically collapsed. But they rebounded very quickly and, and are now well above pre-recession levels. Um, now, I did read something yesterday. There's a large city uh, near Beijing that's under lockdown now because they've had a pickup in cases. But uh, for the most part, China has dealt better with the virus than, uh, than the U.S. or Western Europe have. Um, so if you look at their relative strength economically, uh, they've gained on us during this pandemic and uh, um, that may be true militarily as well. Yeah, something we'll keep a, a close eye on certainly. Um, obviously affects our business in a, a bunch of cap, you know, capacities. I think one of the biggest things that we've still seen, at least in the U.S., is that 25% tariff still in effect on a lot of raw materials um, that are coming in from China. So we've seen you know, those raw materials going other places like Mexico and Latin America. So it's, it's been an interesting global supply dynamic in that function. And one thing to keep in mind that you know, before President Trump, um, the Democratic Party was the protectionist party. So um, just because President Trump is leaving office does not mean that those tariffs are going to disappear right away. Uh, I think President Biden will uh, uh, use those tariffs as leverage and is not going to be in a hurry to get rid of them. So um, those of us who may not like those tariffs uh, might have to wait for some relief.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, a lot of this trickles down to specifically the TCC's business. Um, a lot of um, markets or functions that our customers and suppliers are acutely, you know, a, a part of, whether that's wiring cable and paints and coatings. Um, I know you briefly touched upon those industries in our presentation last week. Um, but you know, what, what's kind of the outlook on, you know, both the wire and cable market and then the, the paints and coatings market, um, do you see strength coming back in those, those two? Yeah, well, the, the wire and cable market, at least in terms of industrial production in the U S is back, has regained less than half of its, uh, if it's recession losses. Um, so it's got a ways to go yet, uh, I guess. If you want to look at that as a glass half empty, wow, we've only gotten back maybe 40% of the decline. Um, if you look at that as a glass half full, oh, we got plenty of room to grow over the next, uh, you know, nine months to a year. So I, I would expect that to continue to rebound. As far as paints and coatings, um, it, it's very interesting what the industrial production data show. They show a, a, a big decline in the recession, just as most people would anticipate, uh, but very little rebound. And, you know, the thing I ask is, well, don't a lot of paints and coatings go into houses? And if we've got this booming housing market, um, you know, aren't they painting these houses? And a lot of other paints and coatings go into the auto industry. And yeah, auto production is a little bit below where it was before the recession, but it's pretty close it's to, to, to being fully recovered. So uh, this is suggesting to me that unless people are living in houses that aren't being painted and are driving cars that don't have any paint on them, um, this looks like an inventory depletion and, uh, uh, and production is going to have to come back in order to replenish those inventories and meet the demand. Uh, for painting homes and car and cars. Yeah, that'd be about, I guess my next thought is to both the wire and cable and the paints and coatings markets obviously do directly impact the automotive market, which is something that I think was hit as well in 2020. And I think we've at least seen some initial numbers saying that the automotive market is coming back, if not, you know, close to pre-recession numbers, as you just, as you mentioned. Yeah, it was running, it had been running uh, in terms of light vehicle sales, it had run at or slightly above 17 million for four years. And, uh, you know, of course, it's much less than that last year, but it's up to, um, to, to better than a 16 million seasonally adjusted annual rate as of December. So it's gotten most of that uh, back. Um, that's another part of the economy that bounced back faster than we thought because, uh, People did not feel safe taking mass transit. You know, the last thing you want to do during a pandemic is is get in a metal tube with a lot of other people. Um, so you had uh, strong demand for vehicles. Uh, a lot of that was strong demand for used vehicles, and you saw used vehicle prices rising uh, very sharply. But you can't buy a used vehicle unless somebody trades it in on a new vehicle. So. Uh, um, that generated demand for, for new vehicle sales as well. So that's that's been a, a, surprise, a positive surprise as well. Not quite as big a, a positive as housing, but it's still uh, still been positive. Yeah, it seems to be an interesting byproduct of obviously the, the COVID pandemics obviously 
you know, horrible, but an, an interesting byproduct of everything that's happened over the last year is things like the housing market strengthening, automotive, you know, purchases strengthening. I know I've got friends that live in cities that historically just walked or took public transit and now they all have cars or have moved apartment buildings so that they can get free parking. So it's been an interesting, um, you know, kind of maybe unexpected piece of the, the back end of this pandemic here. Yeah, that's the biggest difference between this recession and recovery and prior ones. In most recessions, there are few, if any, winners. Everybody loses. Um, in, in this case, there have been a lot of big losers in terms of restaurants and, and gyms and, and travel, but there have been some winners. Um, you know, we, we talked about housing, that's a big winner. Um, any kind of uh, software that allows you to work from home, that's a big winner. Um, Retailers, either big box retailers that were able to stay open when smaller retailers were forced to close, they're winners. Those that uh, sell online like Amazon, they're winners. So um, it, it's very different from past recessions when everybody lost. There have been some companies that have, have gained from this and then others that have lost much more than in a normal recession. Yeah, yeah, and so that brings me to my sort of final bullet point here. Um, as I'm sure you get asked all the time to pull your crystal ball out and tell everybody what's going to happen, you know, over the next six, twelve, eighteen months. Um, you know, what's what's your outlook for for 2021 and 2022? Um, you know, is there anything major coming up or events that you see happening or things that may you know greatly impact this year? Or what, what's kind of your general outlook for the for the coming yeah. year? As I said earlier, I think the last three quarters of this year um, we're going to have strong growth. Um, because we've outperformed what I expected, I think we get back to what economists call potential GDP um, sooner than I thought. And potential GDP, one definition that they use for that, is the highest level of GDP you can reach without inflation accelerating. Well, if we're going to get back or go above potential GDP sooner than I thought, that means inflation starts accelerating sooner than I thought. Um, so, um, I think we start getting some more inflation probably next year and the year after. One of the things that uh, if you look at inflation over the years, you notice there's a lot of inertia in it. It takes a lot to get it to pick up and it takes a lot to get it to slow down. So it'll take a while before it really heats up, uh, which will keep the Fed on the sidelines and keep interest rates low. Um, but if we get the kind of growth I'm expecting the last three quarters of this year and maybe into early 2022, um, we're going to get some inflation uh, somewhere down the, the road. Um, I, the positive scenario is maybe potential GDP is higher than the Congressional Budget Office thinks it is. So we get all the stimulus this year, the 900 billion we just got, and maybe some more that President-elect Biden is talking about. Um, I'm thinking that just rams us up against potential GDP sooner and causes higher inflation. But if potential GDP is higher than we think it is, um, that just means we get stronger growth and it lasts a bit longer. And, uh, um, and maybe the, the strong growth continues into 2022. Um, I'm hoping that's the case. That's not my forecast right now, but I think it's something we need to consider. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is the difference between quarterly growth rates 
and annual growth rates because um, uh, because growth slowed in the fourth quarter and I think will be slow in the first quarter, that's going to put some downward pressure on the annual growth rate for uh, 2021, but I'm still looking for something between 4 and 5%, uh, so it'll be the best year in, in quite a while. Um, but those three strong quarters at the end of 2021 are going to keep that annual growth rate high in 2022, even if the quarterly growth rates slow uh, during the year. So we're still going to get a, a strong above trend annual growth rate in, uh, in 2022. So if you're making plans based on annual numbers, you need to keep that in mind, uh, even if you think the, the uh, economy is going to slow on a quarterly basis. Yeah, it seems like the, the optimism is, is good for this year. I think that was a definite theme from your presentation last week and some of our discussions later on in the day that there's there's definitely optimism for the coming year. Um, so, you know, hopefully all signs point towards, uh, you know, a, a positive year and a definitely better year than 2020. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a better year than 2020. And I think uh, 2021 is going to end a lot better than it started. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, Robert. It was great talking to you. Um, you know, maybe if you want to just tell, we'll, we'll we'll put some links here in the show notes, depending how you're streaming this. If you scroll down, we'll make sure we put some links and contact info in there. But um, you know, maybe you want to just let people know where to where to find you or or how to contact you. Yeah, um, you can find out more about me and my company at robertfryeconomics.com. Uh, you can email me at robert at robertfryeconomics.com. Um, if you like, I'll send you a copy of the December issue of my newsletter and let you know how you might subscribe to it going forward. Yeah, that'd be great. We you know, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your presentation for our company last week and are excited to have this episode come out. And you know, maybe we can circle back early 2022 and see how the, the predictions came, how the how the year ended up, and, and uh, not touch base maybe then. Yeah, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll think next year you'll look back and think I was too pessimistic. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Um, once again, thank you. We appreciate your time. Great great speaking to you. Appreciate your, uh, your insights. Uh, as mentioned, we'll link up the Robert's contact info and website here in the show notes. Um, you know, thank you again, and we'll uh, speak to you soon. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it.